insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. This is hour two, and the number is the same, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And the email address to reach me is patrick at relevantradio.com. As promised, I want to share with you a, a declaration that came out from Bishop Liam Carey, who's the Bishop of Baker, Oregon. And he's talking about the Vatican document Fiducia Supplicans, which is, as you probably know, I mean, unless you've been vacationing on the moon, you probably know that this is a document that has been greatly controversial in some quarters of the Church, because it, it among other things, it talks about the ability to give blessings to people, which has always been the case. The priest can always give blessings to anybody. He can give, he can give a blessing to some person who's coming up to him on the street, prostitute, mafia, whatever. It doesn't matter. And if somebody comes up and says, can I have a blessing, the priest can, and under most circumstances, should give a blessing. And that, that's never really been the issue. It's never really been something that's controversial. But what became controversial was this declaration, Fiducia Supplicans, it specifically says that priests can give blessings to couples in irregular situations and same-sex couples. And the word couple has caused endless controversy. Because on the one hand, some people said, yeah, but it doesn't mean anything. It can just be a couple of people. They happen to be standing next to each other. They come up for a blessing. What's so big about that? Why can't you people understand that a couple can be anything? It doesn't mean anything. Well, it actually does. Because the document itself repeatedly refers to couples in irregular situations. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in an irregular situation? It means that you are romantically involved and you shouldn't be. It means a woman who divorced her husband and has gotten remarried civilly. We're talking about a Catholic here. That's an irregular situation. That's a couple in an irregular situation. And so by adding and even perhaps focusing on the issue of same-sex couples, it immediately, of course, evoked the question, well, what are you saying? Are you saying that the church can bless a couple as a couple? Two men together or two women together? Oh, no, come on, that's ridiculous. Who would ever think? Well, everybody un understood it that way. So there have been endless qualifications and explanations and, you know, people, you know, trying to make it seem like this is no big deal, but it didn't come across that way. The document did, as I mentioned before when I've talked about it, it did very pointedly and very accurately um, explain the Church's teaching on marriage as something only for a man and a woman. Two men cannot get married, two women cannot get married, five dudes and a chicken cannot get married. So there's no other combo other than a man or a woman, and the document also duly notes repeatedly that the blessing cannot give the appearance that it is giving any sort of approbation to two men. I mean, it's very meticulously written in that regard anyway to dot all the I's and cross all the T's to make sure that it's really clear that the Church says, you know, these things cannot be misunderstood to be blessing of homosexual relationships, etc., 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 etc. It's still controversial. So, to this declaration, 
um, or this pastoral letter um, that Bishop Liam Carey of Baker has issued uh, came out eh, a little over a week ago. So he says, In March 2021, to the question whether the Church should bless unions of persons of the same sex, the Vatican's doctrinal office said no. In his response, which bore the signature of Pope Francis, Cardinal Louis uh, Ladaria stated that, quote, it is not licit, that means lawful, to impart a blessing on relationships that involve sexual activity outside of marriage, because a blessing that acknowledges the legitimacy of same-sex unions would effectively approve and encourage a choice and a way of life that cannot be objectively ordered to the revealed plans of God. The Cardinal made clear, however, that, quote, persons with homosexual inclinations may be blessed as individuals if they manifest the will to live in fidelity to the revealed plans of God as proposed by church teaching. So, note, he's referencing the question, the same question that was asked of the same dicastery in the Vatican and received a no answer. No. You cannot, the church cannot bless unions. Um, They could easily have used the word couples, but the, the answer was no. And Pope Francis signed off on this. Like, no, you can't. So the Bishop of Baker continues. The Pope's signature also appears on the Declaration Fiducia Supplicans of December 18th, 2023, by the successor to Cardinal Laderia, Cardinal Victor Fernandez. Very different kind of guy here. In the years since 2021, since that response was issued, Cardinal Fernandez contends that the horizon of church teaching has, quote, undergone a real development. The new, quote-unquote, context allows the possibility of, the, of blessing. These are quotes from Bishop or Cardinal Fernandez. Um, the possibility of blessing same-sex couples without officially validating their status or changing in any way the church's perennial teaching on marriage. I'm going to pause here. This, and this is me speaking here, not the bishop. This is the problem because it gives that appearance. It gives, even though it's like, oh, no, we, we definitely do not validate their status. We definitely are not changing the church's perennial teaching on marriage. Nonetheless, it gives that impression, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's the impression that people get. All right, back to the Bishop of Baker. That teaching Cardinal Fernandez earnestly reaffirms in Fiducia Supplicans, marriage between a man and a woman is the uniquely blessed environment for sexual relations between human persons. Far from authorizing same-sex unions, therefore, the, de- the Declaration repeatedly cautions against, quote, the risk of confusing a blessing given to any other union with the right, R-I-T-E, that is proper to the sacrament of marriage. In fact, the bishop says, Cardinal Fernandez says, the new non-ritualized pastoral blessings he proposes should not be given if they will spread confusion about Catholic doctrine on marriage and sexual morality. That's worth taking note of. The document itself says you shouldn't do this if it might give rise to confusion. Despite the Cardinal's concern not to sow division, within weeks of Fiducia's release, dramatically opposed responses erupted in 50 countries. Bishops in Flanders and Germany welcomed the declaration as a, quote, help to move forward on their previously chosen path toward formal blessings of same-sex couples. Photos and videos of pre-planned same-sex ceremonies filled computer screens around the globe with images of priests giving blessings that Fiducia prohibited. 
mass media quickly spread the news worldwide. The Catholic Church has changed her mind, they said, and now she approves of same-sex unions. See? Now, that's not true, but you can see this is the appearance that this engenders. From the Congo in Africa, a different voice resounded. Cardinal uh, Ambongo declared that the that in Africa, fiducia caused a shockwave throughout the continent, what seemed to be papal authorization to bless homosexual couples, stunned evangelical and Pentecostal Christians who had always counted on unflinching Catholic witness to biblically-based truth of marriage. Africa's Muslims took critical note of the document, too. So did the African bishops. Cardinal Ambongo promptly brought his concerns to Rome for detailed discussions with Pope Francis and Cardinal Fernandez. With the Pope's approval, the two cardinals carefully worked out and signed a statement on behalf of the entire church in Africa. It stated that the bishops believe that the extra liturgical blessings proposed in fiducia supplicans cannot be carried out in Africa without exposing themselves to scandals. So the Bishop of Baker says, I do not believe they can be carried out scandal-free in the Diocese of Baker either. Here, as in Africa, if a cohabiting heterosexual couple or same-sex couple were to ask a priest to bless them, they would be seeking an official sign of approval for behavior that the Church teaches is sinful in God's sight. If the priest complies with their request, the subtle distinctions of fiducia supplicants will not keep bystanders from concluding that the Church the priest represents no longer believes as she always did before, but is now endorsing the unions of unmarried couples. That is not a message that I, as bishop, with priests to be sending in the Diocese of Baker. Therefore, in accord with Cardinal Fernandez's above-noted cautions about creating confusion in the statement of the African bishops, I ask the priests of Baker not to bless known cohabiting couples of the same sex or both sexes. Um, individual men and women, however, as Cardinal Fernandez and the African bishops agree, should feel free to request and should receive a priestly blessing outside of Mass. In line with the suggestion of Cardinal Fernandez, the priest could say the following words, May Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you with the grace to turn away from sin and believe in the gospel. For my part, uh, the bishop says, I would be happy to hear a priest say those words over me any day of my life. I'll repeat them. May Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you with the grace to turn away from sin and believe in the gospel. And here's the conclusion. He says, From the beginning, the gospels assure us our Creator intended human flourishing to flow from the one flesh, marital embrace of a man and a woman open to the transmission of life. With human happiness in view, he reserved that mutual bodily enfolding to the marriage bed and solemnly blessed it on the wedding day. If priests of Jesus Christ bless behavior that contradicts his commandments, they devalue the sanctity of wedding vows and distort the divine design for human happiness. What God has joined together, man must not divide, as Jesus said. The God of the covenant promise is the redeemer of marriage, not its disabler. Any form of a blessing that endorses extramarital unions cannot flow from the hands of his priests. Very well said, Bishop, and I'm glad I had an opportunity to share it with all of you. Now, this is available if you want to read it. It's at the Diocese of Baker website, dioceseofbaker.org. And under um, the section for Bishop Liam Carey, you'll see the very top one is Bishop Carey's official statements, and that's where you'll find this.
So pastors, perhaps, if you want to run this in your parish bulletin, that would be interesting. And I think helpful and illuminating. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Gideon now in Lexington, Kentucky. Good morning, Gideon. Hello. Um, So my question is, if there was no sin on earth before Adam and Eve sinned, then why do we have Satan tempting Adam and Eve? Well, there's no sin in the the natural created order. The angels are in the supernatural created order. So the the fall of the angels, of course, did involve sin. That's true. But that was outside of, and I think we could say before, the establishment of the, of the natural order. So Adam and Eve and the animals and the garden and all that, that was in the natural order. So the fall of the angels, it seems, took place before that, which is why God permitted Satan to be the instrument of testing Adam and Eve. But there had been no human sin until that time. You see? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's what, that's what I was thinking. Um, do, do we know when the angels were created? We don't know when, like, I mean, there's no way to put a date on it. I mean, there's, they're also outside of time. They're in a kind of eternity. They don't, they don't experience the absolute eternity of God because they did come into existence at a certain point. So one could say that the duration of an angel's existence had a beginning. And that's different from God who has no beginning. So from all eternity, God always exists. So even though the angels do have a kind of eternity or a kind of timelessness, it's not absolute the way God's is. So there's no way for us to say it happened on this date. And it seems to me very likely that it happened before the creation of the physical universe. So we just have no way of... of trying to put a date on that or, or trying to adduce when exactly it took place. But I, Thomas Aquinas and others, they they would say that this took place before the creation of the physical universe. Helpful? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. There's a little book that was written by then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict XVI, it's called In the Beginning, and it's a short book, maybe 100 pages, but it's an interesting theological reflection on these kinds of things. So if you're interested in reading deeper, that's a, a good little book to check out. All right, Gideon. I hope you um, hope you find that helpful. Thank you. Let's go to Joe now in New England. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Uh, I heard on a Catholic radio station the interview of a gentleman uh, the book he was uh, interviewed about was God, uh, what he says and what he means. God speaks what he says and what he means. So uh, because it was from a Catholic radio station, I ordered the book. And now that I start to read it, uh, the author and all of the blurbs are written by Protestants. Yeah. Well, I think as a general principle, it would be wise to... If you want to read books that pertain to theology or biblical principles, it doesn't make sense to me to look to authors who themselves are in steeped in error in some sense. So Protestantism itself is a rebellion against the church that Jesus established, and it's marked by many different errors. 
you know, the, this notion of Scripture alone, for example, or once saved, always saved, or a rejection of the sacraments of the Eucharist, things like that, those, those tend to be, it's not entirely the same in any given Protestant church. There's not one monolithic Protestantism per se, but among the various groups within Protestantism, there are many errors. So it doesn't seem to me to make any sense to seek out biblical slash theological information and, and insight from people who themselves are getting some really serious things wrong. Rather, I would say, I, would, I wouldn't buy a book like that. I mean, unless I had some reason to do, to do research or something. Uh, rather, I would say go to the tried and true Catholic authors who are trustworthy and they're consistent with the teachings of Scripture and the Church. There you will find good information that you don't have to wonder about. But even there, though, Joe, we have to be realistic. Not every Catholic author who writes something is necessarily free from error. In fact, probably most um, Catholic books, you could find some sort of error here or there, but at least they're coming at this from the standpoint of revealed truth in Scripture and, and apostolic tradition, and they're not part of a system that's already flawed in the ways that I described earlier. So I wouldn't spend money on it personally, and if you're starting to read it and you see, that's eh, a little bit wobbly here, you know, maybe just donate it to the local library and move on. That'd be my advice. Thank you. In a similar vein, what's your opinion of the series? TV series, The Chosen? I have, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you asked the question, Joe, I guess, but I've answered the question many times over the years. I'll just give you a brief recap. Um, I don't, I watched the first season and I know people say, oh, wow, you got to see the second season. You got to see the third season. I, I don't think I'm probably going to. For some strange reason, the chosen is like a lightning rod for people's emotions. And some people I found get very defensive and even angry that I'm not a cheerleader for the show. I think Jonathan Rumi's an excellent actor. Um, I think he he brings a certain verve to the to the to the portrayal of Jesus, but as I've said before, he takes he takes the character of Jesus in a different direction, and that is sort of like this really cool guy that you'd love to hang out with. He's just, he's just like this really fun guy, and I don't picture Jesus that way in the Gospels. I don't see him acting that way in the Gospels, and I know some people say, "Yeah, but I mean, we want to see the human side of Jesus." I, I understand all those things. It's just to me. The portrayals are a bit out of kilter for my understanding of the Gospels and reading Scripture and and such. Um, I also object to the casting of St. Mary Magdalene and the Blessed Virgin Mary. I think they, they got it backwards. The actress who portrays St. Mary Magdalene is beautiful and magnetic and radiant and she she just has all those qualities that I know our Blessed Mother has, and yet the the actress who portrays the Blessed Mother is kind of dingy and you know she she does doesn't have any of those qualities, and for me that just doesn't work. I would much rather have seen them flip the roles 
And the actress who portrays St. Mary Magdalene, I think by right, should have portrayed the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, that's a taste issue. It's an aesthetic issue. And I understand. I grant that. Everybody has a different way of looking at things. But um, I'm aware that in recent, I don't know, maybe in the last couple of weeks, um, an article has come out that gives some specific critiques of more theological issues in The Chosen. Now, I haven't seen those episodes, so I don't know. And I haven't read the article, for that matter, but I'm aware that one came out. I think it was it was written by um, Layla Miller, um, if I remember correctly. So if you were to do a little search for that, you'd probably find it. But um, I know that it's sort of back in the in the sites of Catholic media right now. One final thing, Joe, my impression is that the vast majority of people love The Chosen. So I don't mean to suggest that my concerns or my hesitations are the majority. I think I'm very much in the minority here. Um, there are people who are saying that there are theological issues wrong with, with The Chosen, and apparently those don't really surface until maybe season two or season three. I haven't seen those seasons, so I can't speak to that issue. I know there are other people who are speaking up about it, and you'd have to evaluate what they say on their own merits. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, Please don't write me angry emails, everybody, because we've been down this road many times. If you like The Chosen, okay, I'm not offended. Don't be offended that I'm not, you know, super gung-ho about it. It's a matter of aesthetics, at least for me anyway, for the first season. Thank you. I'll be right back. Thanks to network sponsor PushPay. PushPay offers parishes a platform for tracking donations and sacraments, overseeing schedules, mobile apps to help manage your administrative load, and much more. Info at relevantradio.com slash pushpay. That's relevantradio.com slash pushpay. Keeping it relevant. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Join the conversation at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. I got a note here. Just came in a few minutes ago. This is from, let me find her name, Georgina. And she's listening in Arizona. And she says, I just signed up as a Relevant Radio ambassador. I didn't know this existed. I, too put this app for relevant radio i think she means on her phone people have said i don't know how to do that she says give me your phone i'll do it i also search for the radio station in their city lol thank you patrick ever so much for all you do hashtag no excuses i love that well thank you for that so you're a parish uh, you're a relevant radio ambassador maybe not formally at the parish level but you're telling all your friends about the relevant radio app and we do appreciate that thank you 888-914-9149. By the way, do you remember I played you a clip from that young woman who was talking about her dad who abandoned the family and wife and four or five kids? She was five years old when it happened. And he abandoned them to pursue a career in breakdancing. Remember that? There is a, a new wrinkle in that story because the father in question responded to her email or to her video, I should say. And then she responded to his email video. And I know it sounds a little bit complicated, but it's interesting because we spent a little time talking about that issue. And as the saying goes, there are two sides to a coin and there's another side of the story. 
And I don't entirely understand exactly where things stand at the moment, but a little bit later in the program today, I want to update you with a bit more information on that story. Let's go to James now in Stratford, Connecticut. Hello, James. Good morning, Patrick. God bless you and your vocation. Thank you, sir. I've been, I've been praying the rosary for you, your family, and, the, and your listeners as I was waiting. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have a question and then a, a comment and a question. And the comment, Patrick, regards this gentleman who called you. I'm not sure what day it was. He was a janitor, and he was not Catholic, but he was an artist. He was looking. He wanted to use his gifts for God's. He's mm-hmm. looking for God, and you thought that he might become Catholic. I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to, if you said it was an email, so if you have his email, there is uh, something called catholicartistconnection.com. I get their newsletter, and in that newsletter they provide uh, jobs. They're looking for people to do sacred art, and he can make connections uh, through that as well. They have different meetings throughout the country. There's also the the Catholic Artist Society, the Catholic Artist Guild, and the Catholic Art Institute, which is based in Chicago. Yeah, I didn't know about so, those. That's interesting. Thank you. Yeah. So hopefully the gentleman can make some connections, and perhaps even if it's an online community, and maybe even, God willing, get a job from that. Yeah, that would be great. Now, I don't know if he's a regular listener of the program, but say a little prayer that God will nudge him to listen to this show again. and maybe He has a YouTube. He's an exorcist. I'm familiar with him. He has a him. YouTube. I'm familiar You're with familiar him. with him, right? Yeah, yeah you, I'm there. And um, he did write a book called Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. Father Ripperger showed if she felt that she needed that eventually, that's an excellent book to have. He realizes that the uh, the devil hates Latin. When he when he goes into the Latin, the devil responds to that. He doesn't like the Latin. So, mm-hmm. in light of that, in light of what Father Ripperger says about Latin, it makes me even more mystified, more confused about traditiones uh, custodes. You know, the motto proprio mm-hmm. that is limiting. The, the Latin Mass. So mm-hmm. I was hoping that uh, you could comment on these. How do we reconcile these two pieces of information? Well, uh, I am not in the world of, of exorcisms or the ministry of exorcism, so I have to just learn what I can from those priests who are. Um, the The issue of the traditional Latin Mass under the current pontificate, it seems, based upon what Pope Francis has said, that he himself dislikes it. And I know that a number of people who are influential in his in his world and in, in his ministry um, also seem very much against the traditional Latin Mass. And there are various theories that have arisen as to why would why would the church abrogate, for all intents and purposes, the traditional Latin Mass? Um, I've seen just about all the major and minor theories about this. I don't think, if I had to guess, James, that it has anything to do with what an exorcist might say about the devil hating Latin. I mean, I've heard the same thing, so I'm, I'm not saying that that's a novel idea. 
Um, but I don't get the impression that the motive impulse behind Tradiciones Custodes has to do with that. I think it has to do with the desire to suppress the traditional form of the Mass so that the new rite of the Mass as promulgated at Vatican II will be effectively the only option available as a way to sort of enforce the kind of uh, liturgical hegemony. And what's interesting, this is just a side note, and that is that the other rites of the church freely enjoy the use of their ancient liturgies, the Maronite rite, the Byzantine rite, the various rites of the church that have a unique and distinctive traditional liturgy, they're free to retain those. And nobody is told that, that they must go to the new rite of the Mass. Um, they are free to continue with their traditional liturgies. And yet, for some reason, the traditional Latin Mass does not enjoy that same type of latitude, that same type of freedom. I wish that it did. In fact, I'm very much aligned with Pope Benedict XVI, who called for that in his motu proprio, um, Sumorum Pontificum. So I'll leave you with this thought, because there's nothing I can say or do that will change the current circumstances. They are what they are. And the Pope is the Pope. So, I mean, I, I accept the reality for, for how it is. But I will suggest that as evidenced by the fact that Pope Francis completely abrogated what Pope Benedict XVI requested, he wanted a much wider availability, saying to bishops you know, and pastors of parishes, it would be a really good thing if you were to have one of the scheduled Masses on Sunday, have that as a traditional Latin Mass, if it's requested by a stable group of people in the parish. And there, there were various stipulations, but the long and the short of it was that Pope Benedict XVI very much wanted to promote the availability of the traditional Latin Mass. It's part of the patrimony of the Church, of course. Pope Francis said, no, we're not going to do that. And he, with his motu proprio, he reversed course. So what I'm leading up to is simply this. This is sufficient evidence to show that a future Pope, maybe the next Pope, I don't know, maybe the Pope after him, I don't know. But a future Pope could just as easily say, Tradiciones um, Custodes is no longer what we're going to do anymore. We're going to make the Latin Mass available again. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I'm not predicting it, but I wouldn't be surprised. So my advice would be, stay the course, love Jesus, love your neighbor, be a good husband, father, student, whatever it is you're called to do in life. Pray for the Pope, be patient, and um I wouldn't be surprised if things change in the future. They are what they are right now. Okay, this is uh, the Lord allowing his church to go through the things that he allows the church to go through. And I'm, I'm okay with trusting in Jesus as we go through these things. And I have hope for the future. And I think that's the best thing we can do. Just pray for the Pope and move forward. Those are my thoughts, James. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Let's go now to Armando in Escondido, California, that is. Good morning, Armando. Good morning, Patrick. How are you doing? I am not too bad for a center, honestly. 
Uh, Patrick, I am a RCA sponsor, and um, we just had a retreat on this past Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I, I raised the question, because we were teaching our candidates about, um, uh, we were teaching them the uh, Stations of the Cross. What is the difference between the Stations of the Cross and the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary? And when were they both instituted into Catholic practice? Okay, uh, so the Rosary, the, the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary come directly from the Holy Bible, those, as do the other Mysteries of the Rosary, and they're vignettes in the life of Jesus that pertain to his passion. So, and you know what they are. So the scourging of the pillar, crowning with thorns, etc. So it is a prayer form in the rosary of concentrating on those biblical vignettes in the life of Jesus. And where, when did that start? Uh, that started in the form that we know it today, about 800 years ago, when Our Lady, at least this is the story, Our Lady imparted to St. Dominic, the founder of the Order of Preachers, the Dominicans, this particular form of the rosary. So that's, if you want to say, when did this start? I would say about 800 years ago. Now, the difference is that the Stations of the Cross are, there are more of them. And so we see Jesus is condemned to death. Jesus carries his cross. Jesus falls for the first time. Jesus meets his mother. Simon of Cyrene is made to carry the cross. Veronica wipes the face of Jesus. Jesus falls a second time, etc. So those two, with the exception of, um, you know, the question of Veronica, that name, Veronica, is not given to us in Scripture, um, and actually it derives from the word for true image. So the the compound word that leads to the name Veronica, you know, icon, uh, it it's redolent of the idea that this image of Jesus that was transferred to the cloth that she wiped our Lord's face with, that's where that name comes from. But the woman herself was not named Veronica. It's just the traditional word that we give to her, or the name that we give to her. But the other things are there. So Simon is Cyrene carrying the cross. Um, Jesus meets um, the women of Jerusalem. Presumably Our Lady was there. So here in the Stations of the Cross, it specifies that he met his mother. These are all also drawn from the New Testament passion narrative, um, and there are just more of them than there are when it comes to the five sorrowful mysteries. I guess that's the best way I could explain the difference between the two. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. But when was when was when were the stations of the cross instituted? That I don't know. That's something if you just Google it, you'll be able to find it out pretty quickly. Pretty um pretty available. I just haven't Googled it. <laughs> so I don't know. Um I have to take a break though. Good questions, Armando. Thank you for that. And those are good Lenten practices, the stations of the cross. And, of course, the Holy Rosary. And we're going to come back with more right after this quick timeout. You're listening to The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Big time gratitude to Charity Mobile for sponsoring The Patrick Madrid Show. They're a pro-life cell phone company with nationwide coverage and no contracts. You can choose from the latest phones or bring your own. New customers can mention Patrick for a free phone or another offer. Info at CharityMobile.com. At the intersection of faith and culture, The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. 
Let's see. Let's get back to the phones. We're going to go to Cecilia in... Where is Cecilia? Well, Cecilia didn't tell us, but welcome, Cecilia. Thank you. Yes. How may I be of service? Uh, I've, I've been a member of the traditional Catholic laity to an advanced age. Uh, my question, I'm not mm-hmm. convinced that the Trump name is actually relevant anymore because he sold it. Now, the second part of that question is, I don't think that a man who brings person after person to Washington moves their families there only to be fired soon after, causing repeated depression and anxiety for the country is is pro-life in the sense that pro-family gets involved. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome, Cecilia. Nice chatting with you. And God bless you. Let's go to Frank in Texas. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Patrick. Hi there. Uh, yeah, so my question is, uh, if you have a friend who betrays you by misappropriating your fund that you have, that, that, that you have given him, Okay. And you So your friend betrayed you by misappropriating or, or misusing or misappropriating misappropriating sounds like he stole it. Did he steal it or did he misuse it in a way that was contrary to why you gave it to him? Exactly. He used it uh, actually he, he was given the phone to deposit into one account okay. and then he came back and said that hey I used it to for, uh, for somebody for for something else I'm going to return it and then he never returns it. I see. Right? Okay. Okay. Uh, now, in the, and you have you have other friends to whom you have recommended this friend for business dealing. Now, so what's they, the? They are all Christians, also. Okay, so you have a Christian friend who, to whom you gave some money, he didn't use it for the purpose that you asked him to use it for. And Correct. okay. And when you ask him, and when you ask him to return it, he he's dragging his feet. It doesn't look like he's he he wants to return it. Now. Right. They, they are other friends that you know who know him also, and they have business dealing with him. So what is the most charitable thing to do? Should, should, uh, should you go ahead and warn them uh, against this friend of yours, or should you just stay quiet, not to damage in, in, oh, in, in order to protect his reputation? Well, are they asking you for advice? Hey, is this guy legit? What do you think about doing business with him? If they're asking you, I think you have a right to say, nah, I didn't have a good experience. Here's what happened to me. I don't think that would be a yeah. problem. If you, I don't know, seek them out and say, you know, before you go into business with this fellow, I would encourage you to be real cautious and check things out carefully, put it in writing kind of thing. I think mm-hmm. that could be reasonable too. You're trying to give them a heads up. Okay. Yes, but the the, the the problem is that you have already recommended him uh, for another business. So you have you, you have recommended him, and they have actually started dealing with him already, right? Mm-hmm. And based on your recommendation, now I'm concerned that if that happened again, I, I keep quiet. Then I could have helped them avoid something that um, yeah they, that might happen. Right. Well, I'm not suggesting that you stay quiet. I mean, if there's a reasonable danger that your friend could be defrauded, I don't think there's anything unreasonable about letting him know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, sometimes people can be very, you know, disingenuous in when it comes to financial matters. So is that what you're wondering, Frank? You're wondering, is it okay for you to speak up about it and warn your friend? Because now it sounds like maybe he's already in business with this other guy. Exactly. So before the other guy gave him money, because you are the one who recommended him, I was wondering, is that against Christian charity? Am I going to be damaging his reputation by warning them ahead of time? Or should I, it is, it is, I have the duty to, 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 to remain quiet. Well, I'm not, I'm not recommending that you remain quiet. You can, if you wish. Okay. But if you have, if you know that this guy is a shady businessman and he misuses money and he's unethical, then it's not unethical or immoral on your part to warn somebody about that. Okay. Uh, thank you, Patrick. Yeah, yeah I, I, you're just, I just want to make sure that I, I do not fall into the scene of gossiping un, unnecessarily. Well, and that's an important thing to be aware of and attentive to, Frank, no doubt. But this is a scenario where it doesn't sound like this is gossip. This is, you know, this is business, and you have business colleagues who have a right to know and on the nature of your friendship is you sounds like you give each other advice when it comes to these business issues. I don't think that rises to the level of gossip. Uh, thank you very much, Patrick. You're welcome. Good chatting. Let's go to Maryland in Minnesota. I had to stop and read that twice. So do I have the name right, Maryland? <laughs> yes, you do. Okay. Thank welcome. You. Okay. I have two questions this morning. The first one regards St. Joseph and the help of the sale of a home. Um, I've heard many different things of burying the statue upside down in the ground. Um, some say it's not necessary. What do you do with it after the sale? Do you leave it buried? Do you take it out? Um, anyway, all the ins and outs of that. And then my second question is regarding purgatory as to what happens there. Does everyone go there? Do people remain there forever sometimes? Can prayers get you out? What's the purpose? Okay. Um, Anyway, just a quick synopsis, yeah. if you would, please. Thank I'll you. do my best. Okay, so in the case of the St. Joseph statue, this is something I haven't talked a lot about, but I have talked about it. I recall when my wife and I had a home in California that we just couldn't sell. It was just the wrong time to sell it. We didn't have any money to beautify it, so we couldn't add a whole lot to curb appeal. And we it sat on the market for a year, not even any nibbles. We didn't show the house. It was It was a mess. And we were getting very discouraged because there's, we needed to sell the house because we had outgrown it. That was the reason. So we had, a, a, my wife told me at dinner one night, she says, well, you know, my friend told me that if you get a statue of St. Joseph and bury it in the backyard and bury it upside down, you'll sell your house. And, you know, we both kind of rolled our eyes and, and I said, no, we're not going to do that. She concurred with me. No, we're not going to do that. And I've met people who swear up and down, you put that statue in your yard, you're going to sell your house, lickety-split. And they they have their stories, you know. And I've gotten emails and phone calls from people say, well, it worked for me, Patrick. I put a statue upside down in the backyard and I sold my house. Okay, whatever. We didn't do that. What we did, and that actually prompted us to think to do this, I don't know why we didn't think to do it before, is we started a novena to St. Joseph praying the, the Novena to St. Joseph prayer every day for nine days. And I kid you not, Marilyn, this is no joke, on the ninth day, the last day of the, um, of the Novena, some people came and looked at the house and made an offer on the house, which we accepted, and we were in contract. 
we sold the house on the last day of the novena to St. Joseph. And my, my wife and I both, in the back of our minds, were saying, you know, we're not going to do the, you know, this kitschy um, idea about putting the statue of St. Joseph upside down. It's just superstitious. And, and we went into it with that thought. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we were right? I don't know. I, I think so. I mean, everybody has a different take on this issue. But for me, I just wanted to invoke the intercession of St. Joseph. And I wasn't going to play games or do tricks or you know things like that. So that's my take on this issue. I, I think it is a form of superstition that is not edifying. And a lot of people, including plenty of non-Catholics, they will go into the stores and buy the St. Joseph Sell Your House kit and they invest some sort of potency in that uh, that I don't. So I personally discourage people from doing that. Now, the second question you asked about purgatory. So purgatory is the way in which the Lord purifies the soul of somebody who dies in the state of grace and is destined for heaven and is not quite ready to see God face to face. Revelation twenty one twenty seven says, nothing unclean may enter heaven. And so at the moment of death, if there are still the effects of sin that have been forgiven in the person's life, keeping in mind that only Jesus Christ can pay the price for our sin, we can't pay that price, but our sins have side effects. One analogy is a scar, another analogy is a stain. There are different ways of thinking about it in human terms. But the main thing is that if you were to die in the state of grace, you're destined for heaven, but you're not quite prepared to see God face to face, you have to be purified. And as St. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, this is a process involving fire, he says. The fire reveals and tests the quality of the man's work. This is after death, after he's been judged. It tests the quality of his work. The gold, silver, and precious stones are retained, and the wood, hay, and straw, the bad works of his life, are burned away. And he says this involves suffering. And then he says he will be saved but only as though passing through fire. So there's a, a glimpse of purgatory, although the name isn't used, just like the word pur- the word Trinity is not used in the New Testament either. Nonetheless, the teaching is visible. So that's my brief synopsis, uh, about as brief as I can get. That's what the Church teaches, the people who are destined for heaven, but can't quite say that they're ready to see God face to face. God's fiery love purifies them, and when they're ready to see him, they go straight into the beatific vision. All right. Well, thank you very much for your help. You're welcome. Nice chatting. Uh, we'll go now to Yanessa in Chino. Good morning, Yanessa. Hi. Good morning, Patrick. Hi. Um, I was calling because I wanted to comment on um, your comment about uh, the Holy Father limiting the Latin Mass. Right. And I actually, I'm privileged to have a Latin Mass, like, really close to my home. Mm-hmm. And I attend it once in a while. I've also had... Um, the ability to go to the Byzantine Mass. I have one really close by as well. Yeah. And I grew up going to Spanish Mass and eventually English Mass. And right now I'm attending a Portuguese Mass. And so I, the sentiment that I got was that some, obviously not all, but some uh, Latin Mass attendees um, erroneously believe that it's only valid if it's in Latin. Right. That and would so be an I error. I think that Mm-hmm. And um, some of them, unfortunately, have, well, some family of mine have left to the SSPX. And yeah, um, I think it's because 
uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a real shame. So mm-hmm. I think it's because they, you know, somehow, you know, it got in their mind that it only counts if, it, if it's in Latin and Vatican II is evil and, you know, all the recent mm-hmm. popes, yeah. you know, um, are evil. And so I think that it, that's what's been happening. And so it's, it's, I mean, that's just like what I've seen. And so I think that the Holy Father is being uh, prudent in limiting it. Just like, even if, let's say, let's say they take it away completely, um, just to get it out of their mind that, you know, it's, you know, it's only valid if it's in Latin. It's, you know, Jesus Christ is there no matter, you know, what language the Mass mm-hmm. is celebrated in. And I think that... Right, and Jesus celebrated the first Mass in Aramaic. At the Last yes, Supper, it yes. wasn't in Latin. But let me ju- jump in just because of the shortness of time. I, I'm, I'm glad you're raising this issue. Um, th- in my experience, and I'm assuming I'm a bit older than you are, maybe quite a bit older than you are, um, mo- very, very few, if any, it's a negligible amount of people who say that the Mass isn't valid unless it's in Latin. It's very, very uncommon that anybody holds that view. There are some people who do, but they're numerically very small. So how about this, Vanessa? I have a few thoughts in response to your very good comment, and I'd like to share those on the other side of this timeout. So if you keep listening, I'll address some of the points that you made right after this. <laughs> 